Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show which talks to Christian leaders about the topics that really matter. I'm Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Anne-Marie Wilson. In 2010, Anne-Marie founded the charity 28 Too Many, which seeks to work to help to end the practice of female genital mutilation in the 28 African countries and diaspora where it's practiced. So welcome, Anne-Marie, to Leadership Farm. Thank you so much, Andy. Um, I mean, it's said, uh, and I've heard lots of leader experts say, that leadership comes from a would-be leader saying, enough, (laughs) I don't want to live any longer in a neighbourhood or town or city or whatever where such and such a thing happens. I'm guessing this may have happened with you with female genital mutilation is that is that the case yes that's exactly the case I was running my own successful HR practice Mm. I was an HR manager in the city of London for a number of years and then ran my own therapy and counseling practice and then found myself um, working in aid work with a Christian organization called Medair Mm. and worked with them in Kosovo and then North and South Sudan Mm. and Northern Uganda and actually one day bumped into a little girl who had been cut at five years old And at 10 was raped when the armed militia came through her village and the whole of her village, her parents, all her family were killed. She was left for dead. But in fact, she was alive and had fallen pregnant from that rape. And actually, she came to us at about seven months pregnant with obstructed labour. And were it not for the case of getting a caesarean section, I don't think she would have lived, let alone her child. And as I met this little girl, I kind of said to myself really to God in some sort of auditory or non-auditory way, you know, why does this happen? What what can we do to stop it? Who's going to actually stand in the breach of girls like this? And I almost felt him saying back, well, you are. And I think that was my Esther moment. I, I have to say I felt terribly unprepared as an HR specialist from, from London. What on earth could I do to end a cultural practice that's been going on several thousand years? But in fact, that is what I've ended up doing. So that was the moment. Good gracious. So, um, so j- just backtracking a little bit, you... Where, where, where did you, how did you train? Where did you train? Well, human resources mm. for most of my career, then counselling. I did a psychology doctorate, so I mm. got into something marginally relevant. Sure. But even so, I had no anatomy beyond sort of school mm. biology lessons and um, didn't know very much about the Islamic background and religious background or otherwise of FGM. So I did take a, a course in um, a two-year degree in, at All Nations College to mm. study Islamic and gender um, development and anthropology because I thought without that, well. I've got no hope of getting anywhere, really. Sure, sure. So we, we need to, to just do a little medical detail. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a, a sensitive t- topic to be talking about, but um, to help us appreciate the scale of the problem. Mm-hmm. I understand it's a practice that comes from a cultural expectation in African Certain African countries, mm-hmm. anyway, we talked about the 22 in our introduction. Yes, Can that's Can you talk right. a little bit more about what, what's back behind it? Yes, yeah, so it's been going on for 2,000 years. Wow. It is a cultural practice that affects mostly Africa, mm. and that's where it started, the 28 still practicing mm. today. But actually it has moved across to some parts of Asia, such as Indonesia, and little bits of um, countries such as Malaysia, a little bit of India, Pakistan, and of course all the places in the diaspora where people come from another country in Africa and then settle, Mm. and the practice continues. So that's the sort of geographical spread. In fact, there are four different types. The simplest or least um, intrusive type, type one, is called a clitoridectomy, and as the name implies, Mm. is the removal of a woman's clitoris or girl's clitoris. Um, The type two is the same, but also the the removal of the labia minora, Type 3 is the same with an labia majora as well, which leaves such a large orifice. It has to be stitched and sutured often with cat gut and um, acacia thorns and leaves the woman pretty much sewn up, which enables her to be 
um, seen to be a virgin at marriage and is often re-sown to prove her chastity in marriage as well. Mm. But this causes massive amount of birth complications, let alone the physical and emotional psychological trauma as well. Sure. So, so the the reasoning is is what was particularly um, about purity and chastity and and virginity or marriage. I think is one of the underlying issues. I think there are some connections which p- some people think might be to do with misogyny as well Mm. but that is the presenting reason I think there's all sorts of myths and legends that go along to keep the practice happening Um, I think the myths such as a woman is over sex and therefore needs to be Mm. um, sorted out before marriage is one but that just isn't of course true and very different from the biblical model of uh, a world view that Mm. as Christians we have so you mentioned in Islamic the Islamic side of things Mm -hmm. Um, is is that almost exclusively the countries where this is practice that as an islamic background there's often a high high um correlation with that but in fact in tanzania it's practiced more by christians than muslims so it's not true and there is no requirement in either the quran the um bible or the torah for any uh, by any faith therefore although it was practiced by the falasha um jews in ethiopia for a while as well Mm. so you mentioned the four types Mm -hmm. does that um would a would this vary within countries from country to country as to which type matters? Yes, it does. And certainly in Kenya, where it's practiced by 28% of the population, the top three practicing tribes, the Somali, the Kisi and the uh, Maasai are Christian, um, African traditionists and Muslim. So they're all in the sort of high 80s or 90% of wow. women. Wow, okay. So, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about um, the work that you do. But just mm-hmm. c- going back to the very start of the journey, you, it sounds as if you this kind of caught caught you unawares almost. Um, you know, you're not you weren't kind of looking for something to lead and a charity to start. <laughs> you, you really were. That, there was that sense of wow, this is a God moment. You said an Esther moment. I think that's exactly right. I'd been teaching leadership and capacity mm. building um, to. Um, Western relief workers with mm. MEDA and then latterly with the indigenous population, beneficiary mm. populations, certainly forming the new Sudan. Um, but I hadn't looked for a cause particularly. Mm. I suppose if I'd have set up until that time, what was my calling? I would have said it was probably to work with the most disadvantaged in society and pass on knowledge. Mm. So something about working with vulnerables and teaching mm. in mm. element, I guess. But this was a, a, a whole step beyond and in fact I decided apart from the degree at all nations I really needed to have some basic understanding of anatomy and so went to learn how to do how to be a, a birth attendant in northern Pakistan um, and and have subsequently birthed 10 babies or helped 10 women with their babies out anyway and also worked in northern um, Nigeria in a fistula rehabilitation clinic wow. also to learn the complications that come from forced marriage child marriage or um, FGM right and in Israel extent to which the the the, the women um, feel they need to be helped or is there a sense in which they they are part of the culture and it's kind of normal for them and therefore they resist almost being helped I think it's certainly normal for them but a bit like eradicating foot binding in China mm. um, in that context China didn't know the rest of the world didn't do it mm. and until people came in missionaries and, and western um economists they, they really didn't understand mm. that and i think possibly the same was true for many non-literate women in mm. fgm practicing communities but some gain economically by being the cutters circumcisers and the economy certainly benefits from it as well whether it's church or mosque or, or 
other leaders and that means you have to change that practice as well you have to really take the whole community with you not just pick off one sex or one age group in the community well, okay so it's almost like when the apostle paul was challenging the silversmiths and the because of the you know there was that sense of you know you're you're challenging a, uh, an economy as well as I think uh, that's right, and, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, the last trip, I'd just come back um, two weeks ago from a month in Africa, mm. and I think there I was uh, up at minister level and at grassroots, um, non, non-literate non people groups, so mm. the two extreme ends of affecting change in society. Wow. So so you, you felt this sense of this really shouldn't be, and then you mm. think, well, okay, what, what, could a, what could you do? What could the charity do? Mm-hmm. So, and what sort of things are you doing? Well, I think the charity came later. It, mm. it was me in a dream for mm. a good mm. few years. But the charity now, um, having worked in Africa in aid work for a good mm. 10 years or so, really, from 2001, I thought there's no point just being another NGO doing another contribution. Mm. It would be a big, um, an extra fish in a big um, sea tank, really. Mm. But what I did think was missing was that there seemed to be no NGOs or even the UN in a comprehensive way doing research across what is happening mm. and what difference is it making. So unless you baseline or make a benchmark, an analysis of the status quo, you can't ever see the impact of um, interventions. And I thought mm. that I can do. And a bit like I had seen in aid work, as a, a an old w- village wise woman would go from village to village passing on knowledge, I thought we could do the same in the modern era where we could do the research and make sure through whether internet orally or over radio or by booklets people could get the same knowledge as everybody else had and actually see how they could join up together to actually um, in a synergy way add Mm. more value and actually have the practice end right right so um so there'll be a um a multitude of different if if you like styles of communication for the different people that I mean, I don't want to be stereotypical, but some would be very basic in their knowledge, I guess. That's right. And we've just done our first four country reports on Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania and Ethiopia. All of those Mm. were published last year. And we're currently working on Sierra Leone, Liberia, Senegal and and, um, Gambia. And actually what we've done is a a, a head office tool, if you like, a sort Mm. of 60, 70 page report, but quite pragmatic, not academic Mm. particularly. But actually it can be cranked up to government level to actually... And see what they're doing into policy levels or help set policies mm. or taken down to grassroots level and have trainer guides for um, populations or flip books in picture form for illiterate people mm. groups. Because mm. I mean, it's things like basic birth control, for example, have been have been a challenge for for people who, you know, in a Western society, you, you get the idea. But in for some for some folk on the ground level, what what is going on? You know, and that's. I think it that's gets, true. Gets that bit gets that basic, doesn't it? Yes, and I think I was teaching anti-FGM training mm. to um, Somali um, um, community teachers, I guess, in um, Somali refugee camp in Kenya a few mm. years ago, and actually they had a myth that um, that if the clitoris isn't cut off from the girl in infancy, it carries on growing to the ground in adulthood. Oh, gracious, right. And I thought, well, you know, as I as I am covered from head to toe, that clearly isn't true. But yes. how do I portray a truth that yes. they don't believe? Oh, yes, yes. Or would they tr- believe my truth mm. uh, and abandon their belief they've been told for all these mm. years that isn't actually an untruth? Sure. So I think and, that's and one of the challenges. It must be difficult because you, you're, you're, from our point of view, morally, it seems quite wrong. Mm. But but for some, they're practicing something they think is has good good purpose for it. 
I think that's right. And I think it's important for us not to be judgmental, mm. um, particularly because the women who actually are involved usually in cutting mm. um, and would want their g- girls to be cut, they just want them to be able to make a good marriage. And without that, they can't actually have children no. or marry themselves and can't even get involved in some of the adulthood rituals Gracious, of right. welcoming their sons back from circumcision ceremonies or well. being considered an adult to um, draw water from the village such the like so oh, it's quite oh. difficult if you don't change a whole community at one go yeah sure well you're listening to the leadership file with me andy peck i'm joined this week by amory wilson amory has uh, set up a, a charity 28 too many and we'll be back uh, just after this well, welcome back to the leadership file with me andy peck i'm joined this week by amory wilson uh, amory in uh, 2010 set up the uh, charity 28 too many which seeks to work to help to end the practice of female genital mutilation in the 28 African countries and diaspora where it's practiced. Um, so we were talking before the break a little bit how how Amri came became involved in this, some of the the practice of fem- uh, female genital mutilation, why it's why it happens as a cultural thing, and um, what the charity is seeking to do to um, to eradicate it and to educate those who are involved. So, um, uh, I mean, this is not a, an easy topic to talk about and i'm just wondering how you've found the reaction to what you're trying to do when you've talked in the uk and in africa itself i think you're absolutely right i think maybe it was um a bit of luck that i was born an extrovert and happy (laughs) to talk really but i think i have to make sure i'm not embarrassed about Mm. the topic as well and often i'm talking to male elders particularly in a church context Mm. or um african community members who might think um, why are you getting involved with a practice that doesn't affect your own white people group and what right have you got to get involved? So they're probably some of the things I've had to overcome. Sure, sure. I think in terms of with male elders, whether they're in the UK or in Africa, they often don't know much about this and I find myself in a, in a position where I can help them learn mm. and be educated. I think the issue there is that if... Um, I use probably examples like William Wilberforce standing against modern-day traditional slavery and saying that actually this is a role that the church has to get involved as it Mm. may not be very palatable, but actually it is important. And I think when you listen to some of the statistics, 125 to 140 million girls have survived Mm. this practice. Um, There are 8,000 girls cut every week, one every 10 seconds. And I would say to the church or to leaders in general, we we have... we have to get involved. Mm. Unpalatable as this is, the church has to be involved in things that are difficult. Mm. But I think it does make it um, a stretch for some. Sure. And and I, I was under, I understand that you, the diaspora obviously includes the UK. And Indeed. There were tens of thousands. Yes, up to t- you know the probably sixty six to seventy five thousand women here mm. who've had the practice and therefore live with the trauma and physical effects of FGM. And up to 23,000 girls a year at risk. We know that by a f- for a fact that there are girls from Britain cut either in Britain or taken mm. overseas and cut every year. And we're now trying to work with the Home Office, the Department for International Development, Foreign and Commonwealth Office and others, um, other FGM campaigners and advocacy mm. groups to try and say this has no place in British society, is illegal and has been so since 1985, but we still haven't had prosecutions. Mm. And we have to be helpful to um, social workers, teachers, doctors and the like who don't always know what to say. I had a conversation with a psychiatrist on Sunday morning who said, I know I've got a lady who's Somali, who who has a daughter, they're going back to a family holiday, how do I talk about it? And I said, you just have to say to her, 
is she cut? Mm. Does she have plans to cut her daughter? And he mm. came back the next, you know, the week after and said, yes, I did do that. And mm. she said, no, 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 I, I don't believe in that. And so she can be taken off the at-risk register mm. and monitored. But if you don't have those conversations, then all sorts of problems happen. Mm. When, you, um, when you first uh, addressed some of the leaders in African countries, were, they, were, they quick to, were you quick to find advocates for, for what you do? I think people like the, the fact that we're doing research because mm. they haven't got it at the moment. I think they sometimes think because we're white, we come with money, mm. and that mm. isn't always the case. We live by faith ourselves. We haven't got much money ourselves, let alone giving it away at the moment. Mm. So I think they're some of the things you have to overcome. I think they also, um, I normally try and get in early on to say, you might think, what's a white woman like me getting involved in an African mm. practice that doesn't affect my own people group? But I, I say to them on a human rights level, um, on a um, children's protection level, this mm. is child abuse. Mm -hmm. um, it might be done for good intentions, but it is child abuse, and we ha we have a right to get involved. And I, as a psychologist, can see the implications of um, mental health trauma on these mm. women. And I think I've met 2,000 women individually, one-to-one -one in my life so far, and heard their stories. And not one single woman of those 2,000 has actually been pleased she's been cut. Right. And I feel that gives me the authority to get Absolutely. involved. Absolutely. That's a very powerful, powerful narrative, isn't it? <laughs> my word. So um, you've been going for f around four years or so. Um, what kind of dent have you been able to make, shall I say? I mean, I appreciate that's a... You know, statistically, we're talking a very big problem. I think I'm pleased to see that probably three or four girls I've helped have mm. either got out of a refugee camp or um, been saved from, mm. from getting cut themselves. That's very small numbers, I know. But I think we're not meant to be a frontline agency mm. that's going to be literally rescuing them out of their, their, their home. I think the other things have been over in the UK. We have helped influence, having been going on about it for about five, six years, to actually finally see that the... Department of Health has, has put codings in the doctor's handbook, if you like, the red book, to say that, uh, that mm. there is a code for FGM and FGM complications. So I'm working with the Ministry of Health now to say, mm. yes, let's not just not stop at FGM. Let, what about the complications such as urinary tract infections? If they're not um, taken back to the source event or source com um, medical procedure of FGM, mm. then, of course, it can't change. It can't be clocked just how much we're seeing of it here. So that's a, a small success. We've also helped be influential and cited by DFI, the Department for International Development, who are just this year giving away £35 million to end, help end FGM in Africa. Mm. And we have been talking with them for the last four or five years to say, whatever you do, don't just do programmes, do research, because then you can prove your programmes have made a difference. Wow. And they have done that and will be... Um, opening their research bids fairly soon. Sure. So your your ongoing role as a as a founder is to keep the message alive, I guess. I think it is. I'm at the moment founder. We've got about thirty volunteers now mm. that have joined me over the last mm. three or four years. Um, I'm also chair of the board, so I think that's a. Mm. I see my role as probably one of spokesperson mm. and speaking at international or national events. I, I went to Australia December January mm. and talked with the Canberra government um, with seven different departments who can help to see uh, uh, make um, policy change at, at government level and then implement policy change in New South Wales, Canberra, and um, Victoria state. So that was exciting. 
And then I've just come back from four countries in Africa, mm. East Africa. So again, we can do something like that. I think as founder, I need to do that sort of work. And also we've just had our work mentioned in the General Synod paper on domestic violence, mm. which is good. And we'd like to eventually have a discrete motion on ending FGM at that level as well. Right, well. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it sounds like it could be an exhausting business. I mean, you talk about travel. You're, you, you know, as you're speaking, your compassion is very evident. And, you know, <laughs> continue to be excited by the thing. But, I mean, how have you managed to maintain that sense of equilibrium through it all? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think it has been increasingly important mm. for me to step down from other leadership roles that I had in my church. I've kept one with the Global Development Group of the Bishop of London. But apart from that, I've mm. le- left my other roles aside now. And other people have very happily taken mm. up the chain. So I think it's important to be focused on this. I think the other thing is um, that in doing this ministry, I've got professional psychological support as well, Mm. so that when I hear somewhat traumatic Mm. and horrifying stories, I've got somewhere to take that that Mm. doesn't interfere with my friendships and wear out my friends, really. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, they they end up as counselling by by default, really. And uh, we also have a monthly prayer group um, in in North London that people come and pray, Mm. and I talk to them about exactly what I need. I think there's the danger of getting involved in... Um, quite hard, difficult stuff um, mm. in Africa and I think needs to be prayed out really as well. So that's important too. And I think then the rest is case of I'm going on a retreat at the end of this month for a few days in mm. a nice quiet convent, which uh, 23 hours of silence, which my friends always wow. think, how on earth will you manage that? <laughs> but it gives me some time yeah. to rest in between. So I'm quite good at having holidays and re- rest, but the job is pretty much six, seven days a week really sure, for the most sure. of the time because often Sunday's preaching. Saturday's conference, last Saturday was International Women's Day, the right. week before New Wine Women's Day. So I think these are important. These are often take up my time. Of course, yeah. Oh, splendid. Um, I mean, obviously your your uh, narrative is, is not dissimilar for many who get into leadership. I just wonder, <laughs> you know, as, as some leaders are listening and think, yeah, I feel about something a bit like you felt about FGM. Uh-huh. Um, what would you say to them? I think it's just a case of starting. I mm. talked at a, a women's group a couple of Saturdays ago for the um, gathering of women leaders in L- London. And and the person who spoke before me said, you know, whatever she's asked to do, she says yes to the answer. I'm probably too bad at that as well, in, in as much as I do sometimes mm. and overcommit. But I also said to the women there, um, ask for what you want. And I think that's one of the things that's probably one of my um, my secret talents if you like or characteristic of me that I think it's everyone's right to say no if I ask mm. something's inappropriate mm. but I've asked and we've probably punched above our weight quite early on really and I think that's a good way to actually get on with it I I think at the very early stages people thought you know you're completely mad trying mm. to even stand against something that's been going on for 2,000 years but it's not about seeing that line it's about taking one step one day at a time mm. and I think then it does you can see progress I also um, was awarded a, an Inspire magazine award uh, two or three years ago and was taken on on the Inspired Individual Scheme by my tier fund. And schemes like that have helped me to be mentored over the, mm. the last couple of years because I think there's a danger when you, you actually do take off. And I had mm. no idea we were just about to take off. I'd been kicking along the ground on this <laughs> you know, idea and suddenly it did go almost mm. vertical. And I think when that happens, that's quite a dangerous um angle of mm, growth mm. which is almost potential for burnout which many pastors and yeah, missionaries yeah. get as well but I think with the right support actually and I've got two or three good managers around me as well that help a lot 
um, and a bunch of volunteers. People do follow. It's a bit like Pied Piper of Hamelin. Mm. And these 30 people have joined the party, joined the group. And I think my view is that everyone can make a contribution. They just have to tell us how much time they've got, what they can do, what they'd like to do, and we can slot them in somewhere. Mm. And on that basis, we can run a, an organisation on very little costs, but mm. actually have a lot of people learn on their journey with us as well. Splendid. Well, which, which leads me to the last question of, you know, where, where how can people find out more? We have a website, mm-hmm. www.28toomany.org, mm. and we also are on Twitter and Facebook, so we have dedicated Facebook pages. We also have a blog page we do every week, and we're always looking for guest people to blog for us each mm. week to, to hone their skills and see what they think about the subject. We are looking for volunteers, board members, treasurer and a chair at the moment, mm. such the like, so we always have vacancies on our website as well. And I think those are the good f- first uh, ways to get involved. They send an email through to info at 28toomany.org, then it'll get through to me as well, and then uh, tell us what they want to do. The other thing is that we are um, entirely f- um, supported by financial donations mm-hmm. by people. We've only been going a couple of years, but we have achieved a huge amount, but it does cost to um, increase our impact of as well, course, flight yeah. across to Africa and yeah. Um, the 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 report publication the reports we do and such that they do have a, a material cost. So if people feel moved by what I've mm. said, you know every every donation, even a pound or two, makes a difference. I think sometimes people think they have to give a lot, but actually they don't. They just need to give a mm. pound or two. And if everyone listening did that, then we'd be sorted for next year's <laughs> <Terrific>. budget. <so>. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Emery. So um, just to remind you, it's uh, www28 that's t o o too many dot org. Thank Fantastic. you very much, Well, Andy. thank you so much. Uh, you've been listening to the Leadership File. I'm Marie Wilson, who's founded the charity 28 Too Many, has been my guest. Uh, do go to Premier's website and uh, find archived versions of the Leadership File, including this one, in due course. I look forward to your company again next Sunday at 3.30. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.